If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn in them with me uh, to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you don't have a copy of God's Word this morning, uh, that's okay, the, the, the text will be up on the screen behind me, but if you do have a Bible, would love for you to keep it in your lap. We're going to go back to it and refer to it uh, multiple times as we kind of work our way through this passage. For those of you who are visiting this morning, we are in the middle of a series on the life of David. Many of us know David from growing up in the church. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've probably heard the stories of David and Goliath. David is a familiar figure to us, and we've been interested in this series in not simply learning more about David and not simply learning from David's life, but it's a series where we now in week eight, I think, have sought to see in the life of David the true hero of these stories, and that is God himself, not David. And we sought to see in these stories the the shadows and the echoes of the one who comes from the line of David, Jesus Christ himself. In fact, I suspect as Jesus walked this earth, as he walked uh, that road to Emmaus with those disciples who didn't know who he was at first, Generations upon generations after these events that we're going to read, I suspect Jesus referred to the life of David and explained to his followers how that story was about me. That story pointed to me. But through these stories, we've also sought to do another thing or to let God do that thing through his word. And that is, God's word so often is a mirror for us. God's word stands before our faces and helps us see ourselves as we really are. And that's where we find ourselves this morning, through this story. Today we come to a long passage. It's one that really just can't be easily divided up. Uh, We need to hear it all in one bit, and so you're going to have to bear with me. It's our tradition here at Ascension for the reading of God's Word for you to stand if you're able. You don't have to, but we would invite you to stand as I read 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 2 through 35. Again, a long passage. Bear with me. Listen as I read. This is God's Word, 1 Samuel 25, 2 through 35. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the man, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. And so David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. 
Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all of this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his young men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them, every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with a baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as they went, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, while all the while, while we were keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste. And took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sayas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she came to her young men and she said to him, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. And David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now Let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall not be bound in the bundle of the living, but in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. When the Lord had done to my Lord according to all 
the good that he had spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord, shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation for himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder if any of you have ever heard of a thing called the Darwin Awards. Here's how Wikipedia defines the Darwin Awards. The Darwin Awards are a tongue-in-cheek honor originating in Usenet group discussions around 1985. They recognize individuals who have supposedly contributed to human evolution by selecting themselves out of the gene pool. That's kind of a crass way of saying they did something stupid that got themselves killed. Among other qualifications, a candidate's foolishness for the Darwin Awards, it must be unique and sensational. They must be past the legal driving age. They must have a sound mind. And unfortunately, they must have perished as a result of their actions. So as you might imagine, the Darwin Awards are stories of tragedy, like the man in Japan who tried to change a light bulb in his warehouse by standing on a forklift, but the forklift wouldn't go high enough for the warehouse lights, which were 32 feet high. And so he and his buddies stacked on top of the forklift 37 pallets, and then he stood on top of those pallets to change the light bulb in that modern huge Jenga puzzle did not stay together. Today's scene is an ancient story, an ancient tragic story of foolishness. Two truths that I think our hearts are drawn to this morning by this scene in the life of David. Two truths from this text that I want you to think about with me for a few minutes. And the first is this. We live in a world of foolishness. You and I live in a world of foolishness. This scene in the life of David, it begins, the narrator begins with the introduction of three primary characters. First of all, there is exhibit A of foolishness. His name is Nabal. Nabal is the Hebrew word for fool. Not sure what his mom was thinking, but she named him that. But what exactly does that mean, Nabal, the fool? Webster's Dictionary says that a fool is a silly or stupid person, one that lacks sense 
or a person that has been tricked into acting as such. But, but Nabal is not that kind of fool. Nabal's foolishness is, is not the kind of foolishness that we could chalk up to naivete or lack of learning or just mere stupidity like the Darwin Awards. Nabal's foolishness is, is moral in nature. Look how he is described in our passage as harsh and badly behaved. You see, Nabal wasn't dumb. <laughs> to the contrary, Nabal was shrewd. He had amassed a considerable amount of wealth. He had plenty, 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. Did you notice that the narrator actually, even before we learn his name, talks about his wealth? almost as if his wealth and his possessions preceded him. Nabal, the fool, is at the heart of our passage. Contrast Nabal with the narrator's description of character number two, his, his wife. A woman who is, like is the case with most of us married men in this room, a woman who is out of Nabal's league. Abigail is given the simple two-word introduction of being discerning and beautiful. We'll return to her in just a bit. And then there's David. So we have Nabal, we have Abigail, and David. That's our third character in this scene. David, the wandering fugitive. We've been with him now for weeks. He's wandering in the wilderness, running from the murderous Saul. But in his wandering, he has amassed a considerable following. He's got a considerable force around him, some 600 followers. And David and his followers have become a kind of a wilderness warlord of sorts. He and his followers serve as, as basically a band of security in the region. They keep the peace against marauders. They protect the assets of Good men like Nabal. So as the scene begins to unfold, it's these three characters that we focus on. And their descriptions, they play themselves out. So here's the scene. It's, it's harvest time. It's harvest time. We know that because Nabal is shearing his sheep. It's time to reap. It's time to celebrate. So Nabal has gone off to shear his sheep. These are sheep that David and his men have been protecting. And David sends some of his followers with a humble and polite request. Essentially, Nabal, we have scratched your back. Now you scratch ours. We've given you protection now if you could extend to us the courtesy of some provisions for our men. Now, this isn't a threat. He's not trying to, to swindle Nabal. David seems to want the best for him. He pronounces peace three times on his house. And then at the end of it all, he describes himself as your son, David. You see, both Nabal and David came from the tribe of, of Judah. And so David just assumes 
that Nabal's relationship with him is friendly, is even familial. And how wrong he was. What's Nabal's response? Verse 10. David who? Who the heck are you? It's essentially what Nabal says. Now Nabal knows who David is. Everybody knows who David is. But Nabal not only refuses his request, but he insults David. He insults his men, implying that they are merely slaves running away from their masters. And we scratch our heads at this point in the scene and we say, Nabal, what are you doing? This is David. He is the warrior who killed Goliath. He is the future king of Israel. He is a national treasure. He is armed to the hilt. He's been protecting your property and your crops. You're being an idiot. You're being a fool. Not because you don't know better, but in your arrogance. Kids, maybe you remember, adults too, do you remember those scenes, kids, in, in, in Finding Nemo with the seagulls? When the seagulls find some food, what, what, you remember what they say when they find food, all the seagulls? Mine, 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 mine. They all say mine. That's Nabal's response here. Eight times he uses the first person. My bread, my water, my meat, my shears, I take, I give, I slaughter, I know. Nabal is living up to his name. He's a fool, not just because he's ungrateful, not just because he's arrogant, but because he is willfully and defiantly rejecting God's anointed one. We live in this kind of world. We live in a world of foolishness. David will speak more broadly of this foolishness in Psalm 14, maybe having this experience in the back of his mind as he pens that by way of the Holy Spirit. How does that psalm start off? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see, the fool in Psalm 14 is not saying in his heart there is no God because he doesn't know whether there's a God or he can't tell if there's a God. We read in Scripture, Romans chapter 1, that God has made himself known. Now the fool of Romans 14 is saying there is no God because he doesn't want a God. He's essentially saying there is no God for me. This is a fool. This is our world. A world of unbelief. A world that is turned from its creator. A world that has rejected Jesus and needs to be called back to him. We live in a world of foolishness. But it's not just Nabal. There's actually another fool in this passage. That other fool is David himself. Verse 13, he began his interaction with Nabal by offering a threefold peace. Now in verse 13, we are told three times that he straps on his sword. 
Those of you who were here last week, you're like, wait a second. What about last week? What, what about David the merciful sparing the life of Saul in the cave when he could have taken his enemy out easily and discreetly? What happened to that David? What happened to the David who was trusting? Vengeance is the Lord's. I will wait. Well, that David's gone. The David we have here is the one who loses his temper, loses his trust in the Lord, and loses his very identity. You see, he, like Nabal, like Saul before him, he's full of himself, essentially getting ready to take matters into his own hand. Should he be offended by Nabal? Absolutely. But not to the point of just slaughtering him. Here, David, the, the restrained and the restrainer of his own men, remember when he tore into his own men, don't touch Saul in the cave. Here, David is the one that needs to be restrained himself. Brothers and sisters, I'd like us to consider that this is so often us. I mean, really, wouldn't you be tempted to respond just like David? Ungrateful fool, insulting me, insulting my men. So maybe for us, it's a harsh word to someone's face or behind their backs or a subtle strategy to stick it to them in some other way. Maybe it's anger directed not at a person, but at God for the consequences that you are bearing as a result of your faith or some other valley that God has providentially called you to walk through. Our hearts are really no different. How forgetful we are, forgetting who God is, forgetting who we are. Failing to consistently connect the dots of wisdom that we've learned in other situations like David in the cave, to what is presently happening to us today. Failing to, as we talked about last week, patiently trust in the Lord's work rather than taking matters into our own hands. So you and I in this room, we may not be defiantly living in unbelief against the Lord, but how easily we live our lives like unbelievers, like orphans, without a heavenly Father who loves us and who guides us by his faithful hand. We live in a world of foolishness. But there's good news this morning. We are led to it in this passage, and that's the second truth, is that God's mercy comes to the foolish. God's mercy comes to the foolish. It begins to flow this morning from the smallest of sources, this unnamed servant, a young man who sees all this foolishness go down and he tells Nabal's wife, Abigail. And it's almost as if Abigail isn't even surprised at what she's hearing. She's not even surprised that her husband has gotten himself into this trouble. Because she wastes no time springing into action from the plenty of their house. She gathers 200 loaves, two wineskins, five sheep, 
35 quarts of grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. This is a feast. She gathers it together, and she's off to intercede and intercept. Verse 23, she comes upon David, and her countenance is the opposite of Nabal's. Her husband insulted David. What does she do? She bows and pleads in humility. Abigail's speech is the longest speech by a woman in the Old Testament. It's 153 Hebrew words. And it's rich. And it's powerful. Seven times she brings up Yahweh as she intercedes for her foolish husband, as she reminds David of his destiny, as she protects David against himself and his own foolishness. She's weaponless. And yet winsome and wise, this marginalized woman, because she was a woman, she was marginalized. She saves both of these men. She saves both of these men. Now, reading on, we'll learn that the reprieve that Nabal finds is short-lived because God's judgment will find him. But it's her effect on David that I want to focus on. David was a man in need of rescue. He was a man in need of grace. And Abigail comes and she helps him remind what he is forgetting. She helps him see what his sin is blinding him to. Look at verse 29. She says this as part of this speech. She says, The lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Do you hear echoes of another event in the life of David? Echoes of a valley where David killed Goliath. She's essentially saying, do you remember God's work through you? Where the Lord defended his honor through you and your sling. And he made you famous. This is not who you are, David. This David who's blown his top, strapped on his sword, and is ready to just take matters into his own hands. But not only does she remind David of what he's forgetting, she says in verse 24, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She invites the punishment for Nabal's foolishness. And in doing so, Abigail points us to Jesus. To the one who became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. Abigail can't bear the guilt of her own sin, let alone that of her husband's foolishness, but a sinless one is coming who can bear the guilt and will bear the guilt and has borne the guilt of the entire world. Even as David praises Abigail, he recognizes that it's Yahweh It's Yahweh who's behind all of this. Verse 32, Blessed be the Lord who sent you this day to meet me. So what does all this mean? Well, we're all 
in this room, all those watching online, we're all in one of these two categories. We're either like Nabal, foolish in our defiance of our Creator and Sustainer and Savior, refusing to bow and bend to the One who has shown Himself to you. And to those of you who may be in that category, the call is to come to Him, lest you, like Nabal, face the judgment of God alone in your rejection of Him. Jesus came to earth for fools. He died, lived a perfect life for fools, died an innocent death for fools. And yes, the Bible says to the world, this looks like foolishness, but to us who believe, it's grace, it's love immeasurable. So either like Nabal or we're like David. We know the wisdom of God, but we are foolish in our forgetfulness to what he calls us to be. Or like David, we are, as he says himself, trying to work out our salvation with our own hands. Whether we're Nabal, whether we're David, we all need the gospel. And let me take it a step further. We need gospel community. It's one of the things that this passage points us to. David needed that young servant. He needed Abigail. And he needed ears to be able to hear what they had to say to him. These instruments of grace in the form of this young servant, in the form of Abigail, they were God's gift to David to save him from himself. And as I've told us before, we as a church, we need to be gently and appropriately speaking into each other's lives. I mean, the question for all of us is, does anyone know you well enough to correct you? And if they did speak into your life, would you have ears? Would you have the humility needed to actually listen to them? What David experiences here through the ministry of Abigail through the ministry of this young servant is something that we, we all need. The life of the body. We live in a world of foolishness. But God's mercy comes to fools. So the application as you go from this place is praise God. Praise God for his forgiveness through Jesus, for his restraining grace, for his preventative providence for fools like you and I. Praise him for the foolishness of the cross that saves and transforms sinners like you and me. How does Psalm 14 end that psalm that starts off The fool says in his heart, there is no God. It ends in verse 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning once again for this word of grace 
this word of comfort, this word of healing to hearts prone to forget, hearts prone to stray, and yet hearts that have been redeemed and loved and made new. May we go from this place girded up in the gospel, renewed to walk in that newness of life that is ours in Christ Jesus, putting off sin, putting on righteousness, letting others be a part of our lives that we might live in gospel community, speaking boldly the words of life to those who are hungry and thirsty, and yet they don't know what will satisfy, what will quench. Oh, Father, grow us and use us as you see fit, we pray. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen.